Tuesday, May 26th, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined as always by our tribe beat writer, Paul Hoynes. Paul, uh, Memorial Day weekend is now uh, now officially wrapped up. How many racks of ribs did you uh, consume? I not. I had a couple uh, strip steaks, Joe, on the grill. Not bad. I, my wife usually does the cooking, but I I did I took over yesterday. You, you do the grilling? Is that uh, I is did, that? I did the grilling yesterday. Yeah. So do you have a uh, do you have an apron that says "Kiss the Chef"? Is that it? I should have had one on though. Uh, good. Well, you know. I, it, barbecues, burgers and hot dogs, strip steaks, ribs, all that good stuff. That's traditionally what you think of Memorial Day weekend. You also think baseball, but unfortunately right now, like uh, as is the, the situation around the world, uh, um, you know, no baseball yet. We're getting closer. Uh, the Japan Baseball League is set to start in, uh, in, in mid-June now. June 19th is their target date. Uh, they're, they're practicing June 2nd. Uh, no fans uh, as of yet, uh, as reported uh, on Japan Baseball. But again, with Korea already, you know, going full swing with their ten-team league, um, you know, Japan being the next step also looks promising. Uh, we've also got the the are waiting the new economic proposal from the league uh, to the Major League Bla- uh, Baseball Players Association. That's expected to come sometime today. So you know, what's to make of the the latest sort of steps in the pro? I guess we sort of we sort of hit the pause button for the, the holiday weekend, but now it's we're getting into this short week where it could be the, the biggest week of, of developments here. Yeah, I think so, Joe. Uh, you know, I think we're looking at kind of uh, two tiers to this, uh, the, the health and safety protocols, which I don't think is going to be too much of a problem. I mean, it, it's complicated and, you know, it's really uh, kind of dense and uh, – Lots of hurdles to clear, but I think, you know, they'll be able to reach an agreement on that. The money is still the the big factor. Uh, the, the 50-50 proposition by the owners to split the revenues is sounds like it's off the table, and now they're going to try to find a different way to appease the players or at least, uh, you know, appease the players in, in effect where they don't feel like they're taking two pay cuts instead of one. So, We'll see how that goes. The uh, the response at the end of last week from the the players' association to the health protocols that were uh, detailed in that sixty seven page document, uh, they had questions on, or they they wanted a little uh, more discussion on the testing frequency. The players did uh, protocols for what happens when there's a positive test, uh, what kind of in stadium medical personnel there are protections for high-risk players like your Carlos Carrascos and, and, and their families uh, and their access to pregame and postgame therapy, you know, with the, the idea of them, of the players maybe not showering at the ballpark, but showering at home or in their hotels, uh, access to things like whirlpools and, and ice baths and, and whatnot. Uh, and then you've got sanitation uh, questions as well, obviously a big question on the players' minds. Uh, so it doesn't look like they're going to be too far apart, too wide of a gap there uh, in in the conversation. But yes, the the money thing is is what's going to to sort of drive the next couple of days here. Yeah, and uh, you know, as as we've said before, I it, it's hard for me to believe that that this will stop some kind some form of a season from being played. I think you know I understand the players' uh, you know trepidation about you know exposing themselves to the virus and 
you know, they're the guys on the, on the front lines and they're not really getting, you know, that's not really in their job description. Uh, their job description is to play baseball. And, uh, you know, so, you know, I get that. And, um, but I, I really think that some kind of agreement is going to be reached here. And uh, I don't know if it's, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it'll probably go down to the last minute. They'll take every bit of time they can. It usually is what happens here. If they have a deadline, it'll be driven by the deadline. And uh, then we'll see what, you know, then we'll see how they're going to, you know, kind of quick step it to uh, spring training and end the season. Right. Uh, New York Governor uh, Cuomo uh, said, and came out recently and said, the teams can return to their practice facilities in his state. Uh, the Yankees and the Mets have both already said that they're going to, if they go back to spring training, they're going to do it in Florida at their facilities in Florida. Uh, but, you know, Cuomo's coming out and saying that at least the, the, the availability to practice and, and hold workouts and, and, you know, anything like that in Yankee Stadium in uh, City Field, are, that's also, a, you know, a big step forward there, especially considering New York's status among cities in the United States with, with coronavirus cases. Yeah, definitely. That's and you know exactly because that was a, the, one of the hottest spots, you know, with the virus in the country. So you know that sounds like a step in the right direction. I think the Rays may be training in their 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 spring training facility as well, or at least some of the players are working out there. I think Cleveland, uh, the Indians are still leaning toward you know holding spring training at Progressive Field and perhaps in Akron or in Eastlake if they need the extra space. Uh, but I don't think a, a, a definite decision has been made on that yet. But, uh, you know, it's, it's really going to be a scramble once, if and when this deal is reached. It's going to be interesting to see how, you know, just how quickly they can come together on this. All right. And, you know, prevailing wisdom is that they've been sort of working out these scenarios uh, ahead of time and they have an idea of what they want to do. It's just getting the agreements in place and, and, and moving forward on it. So uh, lots of good stuff. All right, uh, Paul, let's, uh, let's jump in and, and take a couple of questions here from our subtext subscribers. You can uh, join subtext for three ninety nine a month and get uh, news first uh, insight and uh, all sorts of inside information from Paul and myself uh, covering the Indians. Uh, if you subscribe, go to cleveland.com slash subtext or send a text message to uh, 216-208-4346 and that'll you know get you signed up for the program. Uh, it's a great way to get uh, in touch with Paul and myself and ask questions exclusively here on the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. Uh, Paul, what do you got for us? So this is from uh, Joe from Lakewood. Uh, to speed up games... What about the, uh, having a maximum pitch count per at bat? I'm thinking a maximum pitch, a maximum, a maximum count of nine pitches per at bat. Uh, if uh, on the on ninth pitch, if it is a ball, it's a walk. If it's fouled off or, or there's a swing and a miss, you're out. This would speed up the games and would also uh, let the starters go deeper into games. Uh, and uh, so I know traditionalists would not like this, but I think it would be, I think it would speed up games by about 15 minutes. 
Wow. What do you, okay. think, what do you think of that, Joe? I'm, I'm sure he's, he's done the math and he's got uh, surveys that tell him that 15 minutes is a, a solid number, too. Uh, no, unless they're going to start wearing uh, beer league softball jerseys out there, I don't think uh, limiting the number of pitches in a bats. Isn't it uh, you're playing softball, you walk up there with a one-on-one one count, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, every, uh, every foul ball after the, the second uh, strike is, uh, is an automatic out? I don't, I don't know about that. Uh, if, if these guys are balking so much right now at the idea of a, a three-batter minimum for relief pitchers, you try to tell them you're, you're changing the fundamentals of an at-bat, I, I can't see it ever happening, ever. Yeah, and part of the uh, skill of uh, being a hitter is falling off pitches, you know, working the, working the pitch count to get a good pitch to hit. Right. And, uh, you know, so, you know, I, I, I get, his, I get the, the, uh, the thought behind it, but I just, you just can't do that. I, you know, hitters make their living on, on – on falling pitches off and, and working their way into good counts. Right. And, and, and working pitchers as well, you know, teams and, and uh, the, the, the great Yankees teams of the nineties the, the saw so many pitches there. They went deep into games and they got the starters out of games uh, as a, as a philosophy of, of their, their approach to hitting was to, to see as many pitches as they could and, and get deep into games and, and get starting pitchers out of there. I, I, I don't know. You, you change the game fundamentally when you change what an at bat really means. If you if you put restrictions on it like that, so yeah, that's uh, a good point. Um, here's another one. Um, I believe the attendance. This is from Elvin Rivera from Atlanta. I believe the atten- the Indians' attendance problems begins uh, with the Indians not being able to sign their best player (parentheses Francisco Lindor). Fans fans know at the end of his contract he will be somewhere else. But um, what, do, uh, what do you think about that? Shouldn't that work in the opposite direction? Shouldn't fans want to come out and see Francisco Lindor knowing that they will only have X number of games you know, remaining to see him in an Indian's uniform? I, I don't think that would drive fans away from the park. I, I think that would motivate them to go see him play. Yeah, and the Indians' attendance problems have been going on for long before Lindor even made his big league debut. I mean, for the last, I think in the last 10 years, they've drawn, what, 2 million fans maybe once or twice. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this has been going on. And, and yes, you know, the root cause is perhaps the root cause is, you know, players, I mean, fans know the players aren't going to be here for their whole career. But that's the same in almost every city. Very, very few players stay in one city. For, for their whole careers. And the Indians, uh, to my way of thinking, have done, you know, a decent job of, of getting their players, their star players, to take at least one bite out of the uh, extension apple, you know, to, to extend right. their careers, at least at careers in Cleveland, at least past, you know, the seven or eight years or maybe nine years, you know, when, when you can be a free agent after six. Yeah, I just don't buy into the, the philosophy or what he's trying to argue here is, that, that fans would be sitting there saying, well, we've got the best shortstop in, in baseball right now, but he's not going to be with the, the team beyond next year, so we're not going to go see him. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. You've you got the best shortstop in baseball, you buy tickets to go see him. That, that's, that's the problem. The problem is a regional problem. The problem is economic, and it goes beyond you know, just the Indians in, in, this, in this city. They play 81 home games a year. It's, it's hard to spend – you know, $150 a night to take a family of four to a, a ball game 81 times. Yeah, that's, yeah. 
Uh, this is from uh, this is from Laura from uh, Gary, uh, North Carolina, um, or Cary, North Carolina. Cary, okay. Um, pitchers have been loading up the baseball since the first spitball was thrown. If baseball returns this year, are we going to see hand sanitizers, you know, on the mound? And if this, and if there is any slick stuff on the ball, will it automatically be assumed that baseball, that the baseball is doctored? I, I mean, they're going to stop the players from going, the, the pitchers from going to their mouth, uh, for sure. There won't be any licking of the, the hands to, to sort of grip or anything like that. And you can do that when you're off the mound, I, I believe is the, is the rule. If you step off the mound, you can walk behind the mound, rub up the baseball, go to your mouth, go to your, your hands or whatever, but you can't do that while you're engaged with the rubber or standing on top of the mound. Uh, I, I believe that's the rule. Yeah, that's the rule. And I think some of the protocols, the new safety protocol said you couldn't, a pitcher's can't go to their mouth now. So right. uh, Corey Kluber's going to be in trouble because he does that every, before every pitch. Pretty much every yeah. pitch, right. Uh, to that argument, I mean, you might see something, maybe a relaxation of the, the, the sticky substances debate that, uh, that Trevor Bauer is always so fond of. Uh, you know, he, the, you know, saying that the, the Houston Astros pitchers use sticky substances to increase the spin rates on their pitches. Well, again, you're going to a situation where you're, you need to improve your grip on a baseball. You don't want batters getting, you know, hit in the arm, hit in the head, hit all over the place. These pitchers are throwing 95 plus. They, they need to have control of where that ball is going. Uh, maybe, maybe the league looks at, uh, you know, sort of turning a blind eye to uh, pine tar or any sort of sticky substance that would help a pitcher improve his grip in lieu of allowing him go to go to his mouth and, and, and you, know, you know, lick his fingers or any sort of uh, spit in that regard. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. And I, I think I, I answered a, a version of this question a while ago. A, 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 somebody was complaining about, you know, a baseball being thrown out uh, if it was touched by multiple players in the same play, you know, mm-hmm. the, a, you know, the pitcher throws a ball single or a double to right field, uh, right fielder picks it up, throws to the cutoff man, throws to second base, and and that ball is is thrown out because it's been touched by three or four players or whatever, you know. But so I think that may play into this as well for uh, Laura's question. Where are these balls coming from? Are they coming from the pouch in the umpire's? you know, on the umpire's belt that, that he's like, is he touching the balls and then throwing them to the pitcher? Yeah. Maybe he touches it. Got to put that. I mean, somebody's got to throw it back. Right. I mean, throw it back to the pitcher. Right? Are the umpires wearing gloves now? Is that going to be the case? I, uh, again, uh, so many questions. And until we actually get in the arena and get games going, I think it's going to be, uh, you know, a lot of questions still, but once we see how it goes the first couple of games, then they'll probably make adjustments on the fly. Yeah, I would think. All right. Well, uh, uh, you know, just uh, great questions. Uh, again, subtext, cleveland.com, subtext. If you uh, want to submit yours and be part of the uh, the podcast, uh, feel free. Go ahead. We'd love to have you subscribe and, and, and you know, get in on the action there. Uh, Paul, uh, an infamous uh, anniversary uh, passing today on, uh, on May the 26th. Uh, a ball game at Old Municipal Stadium that that you covered back in 1993, where uh, the Indians were playing the Texas Rangers, 
And uh, Carlos Martinez hits a drive off the end of the bat to, uh, to right field. Jose Canseco, the uh, erstwhile uh, juiced-up right fielder for the, <laughs> for the Rangers, uh, drifts back. Ball bounces off his head. We've all seen the highlight. We've all seen the replay. Bounces off his head over the fence for a home run. Uh, what are your uh, recollections, impressions of that game, impressions of that day, and and uh, the way that it was covered uh, subsequently uh, by you and by by all the the other folks there in attendance? That was that was such a great story today, Joe. I really loved it. It brought back so many memories. The one memory I, that really sticks out to me is Tom Grieve was the uh, the GM for Texas right then mm-hmm. at, at that time, and he was sitting in the press box with the reporters oh, and. And when that happened, when the ball bounced off Canseco's head, everybody was howling in, in the press box. They were, they were rolling on the floor, and Grieve is sitting there just staring ahead. You could see the smoke coming out of his ears. He was, so, he was so upset. And then later I found out that Canseco got a late jump on the ball because he was looking, he was checking out some girl in the right field stance. Oh. Yeah, he got a, He was talking, or talking to her, or he was like uh, checking her out. <laughs> he got he got a bad jump on the ball. <laughs> this story just gets better and better. So he was he was checking out some hot chick in the stand, and that's and then, why. And then Carlos Martinez, Carlos Martinez was crazy. He was absolutely crazy. He used to chase Bayerga around the locker room with a butcher knife. And they'd be sword fighting with. With actual knives? <laughs> Martinez oh. had a knife. Fierga had a bat. They would be screwing around all the time. And, and like, when he crossed home plate, he was laughing. You could see him laughing. I think he blew a kiss to the crowd when, when he crossed home plate after that home run. Oh, jeez. And I think, like, I think uh, when Canseco came out of the, the – out of the, the – uh, the, the Rangers uh, uh, training room into the clubhouse. He was wearing his hat and he had a Band-Aid on the hat. <laughs> Band-Aid on the hat? Yeah, kind of screwing well, around. He I, thought it was funny, but but Grieve was Grieve wanted to kill him, I think. Imagine how hard your skull has to be. That yeah. I, I mean, we've all gotten a hand on a, a, a long fly ball like that. It, it stings just to catch it in your glove. This one hit him right in the top of the forehead and bounced over. It, it's funny you said what you said about, about him getting the late jump because I, I watched that replay over and over again to, uh, you know, today while I was putting that, uh, the post together this morning. And the, I, I remember thinking the route that he was running, he ran sideways and then straight back and then sort of fell over to the side. So it was, yeah. it was a really bad route to a ball. You know, it, it, and nobody is, is thinking that Jose Canseco is uh, – you know, uh, some sort of all-star outfielder anyways. Although it's funny, uh, two days later, he did make his professional uh, uh, pitching debut with the, uh, with the Rangers. He, he pitched in a, a 12-run blowout at Boston. And who knows if that was punishment for not being able to catch but he, You know what? And he blew his elbow out after. Right. Then that's, that was the, yeah. the downfall of his career. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's it's a great story, and and that's a highlight. You know, that was viral video before there was viral video. You know that everybody saw that that replay. It was on SportsCenter. It was it was all over the place. He said, "Oh yeah, it'll be on ESPN for a month after the game." He, yeah, right. Famous like, last words. No, dude, that's on that's on ESPN for the rest of your life. That was, that was that'll be crazy. in his obituary, probably. Somebody oh. will pull up. 
Well, if he's, you know what, if he's lucky, that's the, that's the first thing in his obituary. That's right. Because holy cow, that guy went on to do some crazy stuff. But uh, yeah, I I just, I I just wanted to take a minute and and recall that sort of infamous uh, incident. And I I just love the fact that, that, you know, those are the games that really sort of stand out for you, uh, you know, you know, back and that was, you know, 20 some years ago. Yeah, That was funny, man. That I just, Oh God, that was funny. And Martinez, he loved it. He was so he was such a nut. Oh God! One more, uh, one more thing I wanted to bring up. Uh, there was a story that crossed today. Uh, uh, Bartolo Colon, uh, one of our favorite guys to to sort of keep track of. You know, it's been a while since he since he pitched for the Indians, but I think we uh, we all sort of look back fondly on uh, on on what he did with uh with the Indians and what he's done with his career since then. He's sort of become this sort of larger than life figure. Uh, he did more ways pitch. than one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He didn't pitch in the uh, in the big leagues last year, but he's he's keeps saying he wants to make a comeback. He wants to get out there. He's forty six innings shy of Juan Marichal for the all time uh, lead, or you know, most innings pitched by a Dominican born pitcher. Uh, and I think that's something that might be uh, you know important to him. He turns forty seven, or he's turned forty seven. Uh, but this is a guy who just seems to you know always find a way to that they've been able to squeeze something out of them uh a chance that he might be able to make it back to the big leagues at some point you know i i don't know joe it, <laughs> i Julio think he's pitched until he or played until he was 60 yeah so he's probably picked the wrong so- season to try to get to hook back on because it's so short and teams are going to be scrambling but who knows, you know, how, however these teams use their pitching staffs, you know, do they want to use one of their young kids or would they rather bring in a, an experienced guy like Bartolo? You know, I remember talking to Mickey, uh, Mickey Calloway a couple of years ago when he was still with the Indians, asking him, you know, what has made Cologne so durable over his career? And besides being, you know, as strong as like uh, <laughs> Paul, Paul Bunyan's yeah. the, the Blue Ox, you know. Yeah, strong like said, a bull, yeah. He's 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 got the perfect pitching motion. He said it's simple, it's compact, and he goes, if you look at him, like in every time he throws the baseball, his his you know his lead foot hits the ball, hits the ground before he before he comes through. He's always balanced, he's real simple, compact delivery, and it's kept him healthy. Well, yeah, and that's the thing is to to be able to go that long. He's had remarkably few. Uh, injuries and, and and whatnot throughout his career. So, I guess, uh, what do you think the chances are that he gets those forty six innings? I, if I if you had to put a number on it, uh, one, one I'd say I'd say thirty percent, maybe. Yeah. I, you know, I just think I think it's going to be tough this year, and you know, he's another year older next year. I mean, do you, you know, I. I don't know. Is he Satchel Page? Is he is he Julio Franco? I you know I don't know. I I mean, I, will some team bring him back? You know, who who do you end up with the Mets? I think he ended the Mets, up. With, he, he made a, a a pretty big impression with the Mets. Yeah, yeah. for a few years. Would they bring uh, him he was back? With Tech, he was with Texas as well, but I, I I just you look at those teams now, and, and uh, there's a logjam of pitching there. There's no yeah. there's no place for him. It would have to be with something, you know, like a rebuilding team that needed uh, just a, a name, you know, team. Guy, yeah, something like that. Yeah, so. like the Indians when they had Carlton and Negro, 
you know, something, bring right. in a guy that might sell right. a few tickets. Right. And then if, and then who knows if he wins a couple of games for a team like that, they could turn around and flip him during the season. But, yeah. And then he could get his 46 innings and hopefully ride into the, into the sunset. I would, I would say he's probably got a decent chance of maybe getting an invite to a, a spring training next year, but not a great chance of making a club and definitely not a chance of, of pitching another 46 innings in the big leagues. So. Yeah, he was supposed to pitch in the Mexican League this right. year where, where, where Vizquel is managing or was going to manage. But I don't know. I guess, obviously, that never got off the ground. Right. He, he wound up having to go back to the Dominican, uh, you know, rather than because he wouldn't have been able to go back and forth. So he just went straight to the to Dominican and, you know, for all their quarantine rules and, and whatnot. So, all right. Well, uh, that's going to wrap it up for another edition of the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. We'll uh, – We'll try to get through uh, this week with whatever news breaks on the negotiation front, and we'll see if we're, uh, we're able to corral a couple of special guests as well. Uh, it, was, uh, it, was, it, it was great that you got a week off uh, you know, on, the, on, on the furlough week, but uh, glad to have you back now moving forward, Hoinsey, uh, and, and we'll see you know, what we're able to, to put together here as we get ready for the potential for another Major League season. Yeah, it's good to be back, Joe. All right, man. We'll talk to you tomorrow.